White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 590. 10, 9, 8, 7, ignition sequence started, all engines are started, we have ignition, 2, 1, 0, we have a liftoff, we have a liftoff and it's lighting up the area, it's just like daylight here at Kennedy Space Center, the second five is moving off the pad, it is now clear to the tower. We are virtually in Hoover, Alabama, Birmingham metro area, at the virtual Hoover Library for the Science Fiction and Fantasy Festival of 2021. And uh, we, three that you see on your screen now, are what the U.S. government likes to refer to as top men. And so we were brought in today to talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark because this is the 40th anniversary of the first time we ever encountered Indiana Jones and his bullwhip and his hat and Marion and all of that. So we're going to talk about it. And I am joined by two other top men, Bobby Nash and Michael Gordon. And I will let you guys introduce yourself. Michael, since you're on the top row here as I see it, you introduce yourself first. Howdy. Uh, thanks for having me. This is my first time here participating in this convention, and I'm very excited to do so. Thanks for the invite. Um, for those people who don't know me, I am a podcaster and writer. Uh, I, I am the co-host of Earth Station One weekly uh, pop culture podcast, as well as uh, a comic writer and publisher. I think most people know me for uh, my book Tiki Zombie, which has been in publication for about 10 years now. So, Awesome. Bobby. Very cool. Hi, I'm Bobby. Uh, great to be back. Uh, looking forward to hopefully next year we'll be back in person in Hoover. And uh, I'm a writer. Um, I write a lot of novels, comics, things like that. Um, anybody that's been to the event in the last few years, you, you may have seen my table there. Um, thrilled to be here. I can't believe it's been 40 years, though. That makes me feel really old. No, <laughs> I know. I remember watching it and I'm going to introduce myself in a second, but since you said that, I remember watching it going home and then just running around my bedroom, jumping over things, you know, like jumping over snakes, jumping over, uh, you know, whatever Nazis. I don't know, because I just wanted to jump over things after seeing this movie the first that, time. It might've been the first movie that I recall seeing that was that stunt heavy. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't. Well, uh, I'm the third top man. I'm kind of the bottom man of the top man. <laughs> know what that means? Uh, I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I've been to the to this convention pretty much more or less every year since it started, I guess. And um, I think Bobby probably has too. And uh, I am, of course, the uh, the author of the Sentinels superhero novels, the Shattering space opera novels, and of course, the most recent the crime novels, Vegas Heist and Miami Heist of the Harper and Salsa crime family uh, novels among other things, but I host the white rocket podcast and we talk about, you know, movies and books and comics and stuff like this all the time on our, on our show. And so I was very excited to get the assignment to talk about this movie. And I brought these two guys in cause I knew they would be awesome, awesome additions to talk about it. So um, what we're going to do is in our first half or so, we're going to kind of have general discussion about the movie. And then I have a few categories I want to kind of answer 
uh, each person to answer that I think will be a lot of fun. So hang around for that. And it should be a good hour's worth of, of, of entertainment about some great entertainment. So Nobody said there'd um, be a quiz. <laughs> Here's a quiz. Fortunately, you're not graded other than the uh, the approbation of your viewers if they don't like uh -oh. your answer. Other than that, you're fine. <laughs> if I'd have known there was a test, I would have written something on my eyelids. <laughs> Man, I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of references thrown out today because we all know and love this movie very, very well. So um, this movie spent 40 straight weeks as a top 10 film and it was in theaters for 13 months and i remember i remember because i used to look in the birmingham news growing up as a kid i you know i'm you guys know, i'm from silicaga uh just below birmingham and so i used to we used to get the birmingham news every day and i would always look in the theater listings the movie listings and see what was new and what was still there and i remember that uh, there was like a draft house theater in birmingham and it was on there that entire, it had to have been that entire 13 months because I remember at least a year went by and I'm like, they're still showing it. It's like this, this theater, basically just their business plan went from show movies and sell beer to show Raiders of the Lost Ark and, <laughs> and sell beer. And, and at a time when, you know, this was the only way you could see it. Yeah. You know, it, it eventually came out on VHS and was huge. It was a huge VHS release. But before that, the only way you could see it was just keep going back to theater like star Wars. So, mm -hmm. um, uh, I want to talk, I want to touch on that for a second. What do you guys remember about before it came out and when, were you aware that it was coming and were you aware like what it was going to be and were you excited about it? Let me start with Mike. What, what was your kind of thought process before you saw it? Well, um, you know, that's a step in the wayback machine. And uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, the memories are few and far between, especially when it comes to that. Because I was, you know, uh, what, 10 or 11, uh, I think, you know, when this came out. So, uh, but I do remember the ad campaign. In particular, I do remember the, uh, despite, uh, I mean, in addition to all the imagery that was in the ad campaign, including the, the poster, if adventure has a name, it must be Indiana Jones, that kind of thing. Or... Uh, the ads on TV. But the big thing was the big selling point was that this is by the people who brought you Jaws and Star Wars. This is Spielberg and Lucas who were already by that time household names. And uh, as young as I was, I knew those names. Um, and that was exciting. Uh, this was, this was, this is, you know, the time when, as you said, movies, uh, would stay there for a long time because that's the only way we could watch them. So I think Jaws and Star Wars were both integral in bringing in the summer blockbuster. And I think Raiders actually was just the third, the third and final nail that just said, this is going to be a thing from now on. Like <laughs> summer movie blockbusters are going to be a thing. Yeah. Um, but oddly enough, I didn't see it uh, right away. I think my family had to go on a family vacation uh, cross country. We went to, I think, uh, uh, Illinois or, or Minnesota, wherever we used to go back then. And so I picked up, this is so weird. I would never do this now, but I picked up the novelization and I read the novelization in the car ride on the way to wherever we were going. And so by the time I actually saw the movie, I was, I knew everything about the movie, uh, even some things that weren't in the movie. Um, and yet I still managed to come out of there uh, just loving it from from the 
from the first minute I saw like the opening of the, of the, the opening sequence to, um, you know, to today. Um, uh, it's my favorite movie of all time. Um, I'm not saying it's the most perfect movie of all time or it's the best, whatever. But for me personally, it's, it's a movie that I, I never get tired of watching. And I own, you said, you mentioned that there was no way to get it unless you bought the VHS. I'm the guy who bought it on beta. Um, <laughs> and I paid $85 back then to get it on beta. And that um, was a deal. And that yeah, was a deal. And that, yeah, absolutely. And that was, that was a pan and scan version of the movie because right. Letterbox had not come out yet. So I do own it in, you know, every single format. I own it in beta, VHS, DVD, Blu-ray, Laserdisc, Laserdisc behind me, you know, all that, all that stuff. I, I, you know, I'm just a sucker for the movie. I, I love it so much. There's the Ark of the Covenant in there somewhere in their mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's it. That's where they put it. It's probably true. I feel, I feel like I had it on video disc, maybe. I remember I had a video disc player. I talked about it on Twitter lately. I had a video disc player, and I know I had Star Wars and Caddyshack, but I may have had uh, Raiders. I can't. Maybe later on, Bobby. Yeah, uh, you can see oh, behind me the, the 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 video disc is right here, and I don't. I've never had a video disc player ever, <laughs> and yet I still own it on video disc. <laughs> there you go. That says it all. That's that's hardcore. I I remember I remember the ads for it. I remember very excited because as a Star Wars fan, oh my God, Han Solo! It's Han Solo in another movie, and it was very you know the ads really hyped up the action, which you know as a, as a as a young boy, I thought, yeah, it was really exciting to me. My family wasn't much for going to the movies though, so the first time I saw Raiders was the Sunday night movie of the week. Oh wow. Okay. Um, yeah, when it came to TV, I didn't actually see Raiders in the theater until about six, seven years ago. Um, with one of the one of the movie houses that does the retro once a week, they'll do very old older movies, and that's when I saw it for the first time um, on the big screen. So I've seen it like three or four times now on the big screen, but uh, which you know it's amazing, even though it's the movie you know. There's a lot of things that you pick up seeing it large that you you miss on the TV. Um, so a lot of good stuff like that. But um, I do remember being very excited, you know, by the the concept. I didn't read the novel novelization, but I did pick up the comic book, which was uh, written by Walt Simonson and uh, drawn by John. Was it Klaus Janson? I think I think it's Klaus Janssen and Howard Chaykin did the cover. Beautiful, beautiful trade. If you can ever find it, it's really good to read. And uh, when I, when like I said, when I finally saw it, it was like I said, it was a Sunday night movie, which was a big deal in you know the seventies and eighties. And I remember laying in the living room floor, you know, on my belly, you know, arms up like this, you know, propped up watching the movie, and uh, I just I fell in love with the whole premise the whole excitement and like you guys were saying earlier the next day i'm outside jumping over tree trunks and you know going man i wish i had a whip you know i want to swing from this to the, you know yeah. so there was yeah you, know, you know there was a lot of that and uh it was fun it was fun it's a fun movie i think that's why you keep coming back to it it's it's just very adventurous and fun and just sucks you right in yeah it does 
I remember um, a couple of things. I was reading Starlog every mm-hmm. month at the time. Oh, yeah. I them, they that mentioned was required reading at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that the internet before we had the yeah, internet. That was yeah. our internet. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was basically ain't it cool news and all the comic sites, the movie sites, and everything. But you, but you got little tidbits. You never got like whole articles or whatever like you get now. It was just little tidbits. But they were saying that Lucas and Spielberg together were working on something, and of course the Starlog writers are like, Lucas and Spielberg are working on something together. <gasps> you know, and everybody's just you know. And so, um, but then. You know, I'm going to touch on this again in a bit. When it came out, they didn't know what to do with it because it wasn't science fiction or really fantasy, depending on how you look at, you know, biblical stuff. Right. And so they had a whole debate over whether they were even going to cover it once it came out. You know, they're like, on the one hand, it's a Lucas and Spielberg thing. How can we not devote covers to this? Multiple covers. On the other hand, it's not there's no spaceships. There's no stormtroopers. Yeah. So they're like, should we even talk about it all? And. I'll go ahead and say it since I've gone this far. Starlog, ultimately, I remember Carrie O'Quinn or whoever the editor is saying, well, we decided it qualified because when when they open the arc, laser beams shoot out and kill the uh, the Nazis. So that qualifies to be covered in Starlog. And I remember it's like I was like, you know what? I was 13. I remember going, really? Come on. Come on. So anyway, but but at least they covered it. But. Yeah, I remember they were saying it was coming, but they weren't sure what it was. They said it was going to be called the Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. And nobody knew what that was because you think Ark, you think animals, you know, you think a mm-hmm. big boat. I have to explain that, by the way, in my religion courses every semester. It's not that kind of Ark. An <laughs> Ark is a container. It can be a big container that floats and holds people and animals, or it can be a small container that contains stone tablets and angels of death. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> So anyway, the TV commercial first hits, and I remember it. I can't find this version on YouTube, but I remember this like it was yesterday. There was that voice of authority that was in some of those trailers, and it showed the numbers on the screen. It said, 1975, Steven Spielberg, Jaws. 1977, George Lucas, Star Wars. 1978, Steven Spielberg, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. 1980, George Lucas, The Empire Strikes Back. Now, these two great filmmaking talents have combined their forces to create... And I'm just like, I must see this! You know? I mean, how, how does that not just make guys like you and me, how does that not make us, like, go to the theater with a tent that day? You know? It was... Huge and man, you know, you, you just you you doing the music there. That the music play is a big big role. I mean, John Williams, John Williams knows how to get up get our attention, and the, that indie theme makes you want to stand up and charge into battle. You know, well, he makes it so difficult because to pick. Like, what's his greatest score? Because you go, well, Star Wars, duh. But then you go, well, but Superman, duh. But but Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that's just leaving out just the dumb, 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 the most like iconic mm-hmm. something's attacking you sound ever of the shark. <laughs> and that's leaving out everything he did after those. So just within and, like a five year period, he did all those. And yeah. Close Encounters where the basic premise of the movie it, it depends on his score. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Music. <laughs> Mechanism of the movie. That's right. I mean, I don't think has, has, has any, not to go down the, the, that, that, the John Williams rat hole too far, but 
has any movie related figure ever had a run like he had between 75 and the early 80s even no. then i mean because no, it goes before not. that it goes after but my gosh no he's 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 the pinnacle he really yeah, there's a there's a reason that to this day they're still doing orchestra shows with his music yes oh. i have been to a couple of them one a couple that he's even conducted which has been Amazing um, to hear to hear him conduct an orchestra to play the Star Wars so the theme or Raiders. Oh, yeah. uh, there's just nothing like it. I mean, you can put in all the MP3 CDs, vinyl that you want, but that experience of watching him conduct it in full orchestra. Oh yeah. man, people mm -hmm. get a chance to see it. Uh, do it, go because it's a uh, it's it's amazing. It's so moving. Yeah, like I say, he had a career before. I mean, he had movies before that. He had movies later, all the way up until the almost the present. But yet, that run there—that's like you know—that's like a baseball hitter hitting hitting like the home run record every year for like seven years straight. It's just you don't you don't do it. But and it's so. amazing how little he was recognized for it at the time because these movies were seen as popcorn films and they were really poo pooed. I remember. Uh, that, that was the year 82, uh, celebrating the 81 movies was the year that I kind of woke up and thought that, oh, the Academy Awards actually are bogus, uh, because, uh, <laughs> because especially when it came to Raiders of the Lost Ark, because it was my favorite movie, it got no awards. And what the one that really ticked me off the most was best score went to Vangelis for Chariots of Fire. And I was like, who's humming that now? I'm like, short-sighted bigots. Well, and man, but, yeah, like you, as you mentioned with 82, man, what was in the water that year and the year before that that many of like great movies that have, have stood the test of time came out in that like, one year? Yeah. 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 Oh, absolutely. Well, that was my next question is this, this came out like the same time as Superman two and the cannonball run. And I know that all three of us were excited about all three of those movies mm -hmm. to one degree or another, which it one weekend they, of it came out the same weekend of clash of the Titans. Yeah, that's right. That's the right. Same, the same day you could either see yeah. Raiders or clash of the Titans. I saw both of them eventually, but I'm sure I saw Raiders first, but so I just didn't really like Clash of the Titans, so that's why I, I, didn't, I didn't care for it either. Yeah. But so which one were you guys, Bobby, let me start with you. Which one of those were you the most excited about at the time? Or, or you know, or looking back, like which one would you have been more? Probably the Cannonball Run just because of the car angle. You know, I love playing with cars, riding, you know, you ride your bicycles fast, you play with cars, and you're always doing stunts and stuff with your car. So probably that. Or Superman, because you know, as a comic book fan, you know, mm -hmm. um, you know, Raiders looked cool, but I didn't know what I didn't have a basis for it. Right. Whereas I was really, you know, I enjoyed, you know, fast cars and superheroes. Sure, Mike. I'd like to say Raiders, but um, probably the truth is Superman, um, just because uh, the first film was amazing and set the bar. And I knew going in, thanks to Starlog and other things, mm -hmm. that I knew that uh, I would finally get my big wish uh, on Superman 2 on the big screen to see what I still think is incredible is watching superpowered beings 
beat the snot out of each other. Like that, that was like, I had, you know, I'd seen the, these, you know, I grew up watching the Batman sixties show and I'd seen, you know, fights from superheroes and, and villains, but they weren't super powered, you know? And, uh, Superman two was just the first time I saw, you know, heavyweight superheroes just beating the crap out of each other. And I, I loved every second of that. Mm -hmm. You are you are correct. You you have won this portion of the round. <laughs> but seriously, Mike, I have said from the day Superman two came out and I saw it, I have said this is the first superhero live action anything where the villains had powers. Mm-hmm. I think the you're Hulk, right. Yeah. yeah, the Hulk fought dudes with guns. Superman fought dudes with guns. Spider Man live action. You know, the, Superman he two fought ninjas. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I kind of with you, Bobby, in the sense of cannibal run in the sense that I, I loved smoking the bandit and mm-hmm. we had more Bert in a car, which was cool and funny. Um, Plus it, it was, was, it was at a time too, where there, they were doing a lot of car stuff. Car stuff was big on TV, you know, yeah. car chases and shows oh. that revolved around cool people with cool cars. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, and this was a race, unlike Smoking the Bandit. So I was even more interested because I love racing, and and I was like, oh, so they're going to be racing across the country. And then I saw the black Lamborghini and the two girls, and I was just like, okay, I'm in, right, cool. But and, and Superman Two was great, but I think that you know, I think when we look back, I think probably wouldn't you say Raiders probably ends up being the one that's on top of that trio, just in terms of movie greatness or whatever. Historically, they're all good to a degree, but. Yeah, I, I saw. I ended up seeing all of them in the theater, uh, including yeah. Cannibal Run, um, and I enjoy yeah. all three of them. But uh, you know, Raiders has got my heart. Right, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, what about? So you saw it in the theater. So Bobby, take take put on pause for just a second. Mike, when you saw it in the theater, did the crowd around you have a reaction? Because mine did. Do you remember that at all? I wish I could. I, I wish I could go back and and let you know like what exactly transpired in the theater then i i uh, i would love to have those memories back but they're just not there uh unfortunately i mean i know that i came out of it loving it um but as far as how many people were there because i didn't see it opening weekend so um and i saw it at a at a at a local theater which was very small um so uh but i can't really tell you any more than that unfortunately I saw it at a local theater, local theater in Silicaga, but the whole town was there. Basically, it's like we by the time it by the time a movie would come to Silicaga, people knew if it was good or not, right? Because right. we made it much, <laughs> and so everybody was there that night to see it. We barely got tickets, and um, this is by the way, this is funny talking about remembering things. You know, my wife is like, "Did you tell our daughter?" when you'll pick her up or whatever. I'm like, I don't remember, but I can tell you what the theater was like in 1981. <laughs> That's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. I remember the whole place was, people were enjoying it. People were enjoying it. People were enjoying it. And then when the swordsman comes out and does the sword thing, which we're going to talk about, and Indy shoots him, I had never been in a room where everybody in the entire room just exploded. <laughs> it's such that, a great moment. I did not experience a movie reaction like that again until Hulk and Loki at the end of Avengers when he smashes Loki. Wow. That was the next time a crowd reacted the way they did when Indy shot the swordsman. 
Ooh, imagine if we had reaction video back then <laughs> like we do now. I know it would have been incredible. That was that was unbelievable. Um let's see a couple other I guess I get general discussion I want to talk about a little bit. Um the opening scene. We really didn't know exactly what the movie was going to be like the first time we saw it, what it was supposed to really be, other than there was a they were raiding a lost ark. Okay. But um and we there'd been, you know, Bible study movies going around about finding Noah's Ark. So that's what I was thinking. I didn't know anything about a golden box. I had no idea. I should have paid more attention in Sunday school, I guess. But um as as Indy points out at one time, right, I think in the movie. Exactly. But, um, exactly. Yeah. But that opening is basically a James Bond opening, is it not? Mm-hmm. I I remember my first reaction to the opening was you. I almost expected it to be until we see Harrison, because mm-hmm. you know it starts out with close ups of his hand, seeing him from the. You don't know it's him, right? And my first thought was, this is the guy that's going to die trying to get it. That Indy's going to have to go in uh-huh. after him. Bobby's already thinking, say, like a writer. Right, because so many movies do that. You know, they'll start out showing how dangerous it is. Someone dies in the process. Oh, yeah. And so so when he does the bit where he turns around and whips the gun out of the guy's hand and he steps out of the shadow, and I'm like, oh, you know, it, it totally at that point, all my preconceived expectations went out the window and I was able to just, I was just along for the ride. So and you know it's a hell of a ride. That opening, as you said, it that opening is is fantastic. And that opening that opening does is not part of the main plot. Like you said, it's a bond opening. It's a bond but opening, it, right? But it, it does give you the history with Belloc, mm-hmm. and it tells you who Indy is and what Indy does. Yeah, and you know, and what kind of movie this is going to be? It's going to yes. be a roller coaster. This yes. is this is going to be full of adventure. It's going to be full of traps. It's going to um, Indy's going to have to use his you know. Uh, wits about him to try to get through and and solve these mysteries and 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 get to where wherever he needs to get and he's willing to do whatever it takes mm-hmm. if he's willing to do whatever it takes to get this little idol thing that we have no idea what it is like just think of what he's willing to do you know for something as 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 illustrious as the grand uh, the ark of the covenant mm-hmm yeah, other movies didn't open with a climactic scene. <laughs> Only Bond movies had the ending of one movie before the whole other movie. So when you know you're watching that and going, "Well, wait, did I come in late? Is this the end of the movie? What's going on here?" But uh, right, because because yeah, because at the end of the opening, the 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 planes flying off into the, the sunset. Like, yeah. you know, that's the, right. that's the end of a lot of movies. That's but when right. you and that's when you consider point. how well, like what what inspired George and Stephen to do this was you know the serials from the the 30s and the 40s and and that's exactly what they provided they're like well we have a character here that nobody knows it's an it's an original character um which was pretty you know um uh, like brave of them to do on the, on that front as well you know not just scoop up and borrow a character from from the past and use him instead it's a brand new character that we're introducing how can we do this in a way that, that by the time we get to the real plot of this movie, people understand and know who he is. And they create this, what is it? 10, 15 minute sequence. That's just, you know, like a little mini movie, like a prelude that uh, a little like first serial that you can, uh, that has cliffhangers and everything that you can watch and go, okay, now I know who this guy is and let's, let's start the movie now. Mm -hmm. 
That's right. And that, that kind of leads me to, to the, my next sort of discussion point I want to get to, but speaking of, of people having incredible runs like John Williams, Harrison Ford was pretty much in a, in a, in a run during this period. He had star Wars empire blade runner would, would come out right after this. Uh-huh. And, and he had right before star Wars, he had made pretty much a name for himself doing American graffiti. I mean, he was, yeah. a lot of people noticed him in that. Um, mm-hmm. But as of course, you know, I mean, it's pretty common knowledge now, but Harrison was not supposed to be in this right. movie at all. So right. it was supposed to be Tom Selleck. And then he went off and did some TV movie. I don't know if it, or TV yeah. thing. I don't know if it ever, anything came of that. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know if anything came of Tom Selleck. Where did he go? Like, <laughs> they did Monica but, friends for a while. Um, and they and you know Lucas and Spielberg thought they were screwed. They were like, "What are we going to do? We, you know, our guys left. What are we going to do?" And then it kind of dawned on both of them at the same time, and they're like, "The guys right underneath our nose." Like they yeah. just were like, they, when it clicked, they were like, "And now you can't imagine anybody else in the role, despite the fact that other people have played the part. You can't imagine anybody else in that." Role. There's a, there was an interview where they were they were talking to 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 Spielberg and Lucas, and you know Spielberg's like, you know, we were like. What about Harrison and George? It's like, no, <laughs> I've already worked with him. No, <laughs> and twice. It's like, it's like, come on. <laughs> That's right. But yeah, he, it's, he, uh, and I froze him in a block of carbonite. He's he's off the shelf right now. <laughs> Not available. But that I guess that was partly cool though. The people that really liked Harrison Ford and were sad about the ending of Empire. You got some exciting Harrison Ford the very next summer. So this is what Han Solo dreams about while he's. Yeah. Here's my question about the opening scene, though. So at the beginning, you can see that they've clearly taken pack mules through the jungle and he's got a whole team of guides and brought supplies and everything. How is there an airplane and a pilot right there? Did he did? I mean, why didn't Indy just and clearly Indy hasn't been in the plane yet because he doesn't know about Jock's snake. So did he just. Did he contingency tell? plans? <laughs> I, I've just never understood. Why not just fly the plane in with Jock and then walk up to the thing rather than taking the through the enemy territory? And I, I've just never been clear. Well, to me, it, but it, it does look like too at the very beginning he doesn't know where it is. So I think that's because he there he is consulting the maps and yeah the guides are pointing him and and they're looking for. Because the guy, one guy screams when he sees the totem, the totem. Yeah. So he's, he's, he doesn't know where it is. My guess is on the way out, he knows where the river is. And that's where, jo- you know, he's, you know, Pierre is waiting for him. Isn't that right? Pierre, the, Pierre's the pilot. Right. That's Jock. Okay. Jock was the pilot. Yeah, Jock wasn't the snake. Okay. Yeah. Jock was the pilot. Sorry. I can see him. Reggie is the snake. Reggie is the Reg, snake. That's Thank my you. best snake, Reggie. <laughs> And, uh, and man, talk about great setup for something later. I hate oh, sex. Yeah. <laughs> totally didn't see that coming. But um, but yeah, I so either that or I mean, if you look at it, he is an archaeologist. But Indiana Jones is also a little bit of a grave robber, you know. Yeah. So he may have been thinking, okay, once I'm in there, I'm going to need a quick getaway. Whether you know, not even knowing that Belloc was going to show up, you know. I'm sorry. Are you saying that Indiana Jones is a bit of a tomb raider? A tomb raider. <laughs> nice. X never marks the spot. No. That's right. I don't know. I, I, you know what? I, I understand that. And then over the years, there's a lot of things about the plot 
in the story uh, that goes on that you're kind of like, yeah, but in fact, um, I mean, I've, I love this movie so much that I can't help but get defensive over it. And, um, and I remember at the time, one of my best friends who was really into, you know, storytelling and everything just like, came out of the movie and he was like, we were talking about it. And I was like, isn't that great? And he's like, I don't know. It was a bit contrived. And I was so mad. I don't, I can't remember how, like, I mean, I was so mad. And over the years, of course he's right. But I mean, at the time I was like, but they do such a beautiful job at like, you know, covering over all that. So you, while you're watching it, you just don't care. No, that's you true. don't care. India is a very lucky guy. He 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 gets on top of the only submarine that doesn't go under the water. You know? <laughs> in the book, in the novelization, it does go underwater. Yeah, he, and there's the, a whole there's a whole chapter to explain exactly how he yeah. what he does to get you know so he doesn't drown. And yeah, the when that wasn't that in, when when I read the novelization before the movie, I saw the movie and I'm like, well, that's kind of weird because now people are watching the movie and going, how did he survive that? And I'm like, uh, that's a weird thing to leave out. But of course, yeah. it's just one of those things. But I was wondering that. Yeah. Okay. So I guess um, it makes sense that he'd have. Yeah. I, I just I, I remember when he ran out of the temple. I was thinking he's dead. There's no way to, there's no way he escapes from this. And then there's the airplane and I'm like, Oh, he's got a plane. Well, duh. If I'd known that was there, I wouldn't have been so worried, you know, but, but all the other stuff that the big rolling boulder and the, the, mm. the, the, the blow, blow guns. And when the, he uh, falls in front of the boulder. Yes. yes. Which I don't think, which I don't think was done on purpose. No, I don't if, think so. Either. I, but Oh my God. Yeah. When he, when he falls, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I'm in the theater. I'm watching one. You know, get up! <laughs> oh yeah. Oh man. Um, by the way, a little note here. We're talking about when they're filming it, I had a note that without Raiders of the Lost Ark, we probably wouldn't have had ET because Spielberg sat down with Ford's Harrison Ford's wife, Melissa Matheson, and they came up with the idea on the set of Raiders. Mm-hmm. So uh, they must have filmed it pretty quickly then because uh, they came out within a year of each other, I think. Yeah, I think so. So, but that was, I thought that was interesting. I don't know if that's good or bad. Um, <laughs> it was good for him. Yeah, um, one thing I noticed watching it the last couple of days that I hadn't noticed before is that I remember you don't really see the bull whip again. Do you guys remember what happens to the bull whip? I figured out. I found out what happened to his bull whip. Okay. What? When, you don't know when, when you're talking about like in the first what? movie or just no i mean i'm sorry in the course of the first movie <laughs> he uses it all the time right well it's, it when, well it's when he's under the truck he puts yes. it under the truck and then yes. he climbs up it's still under the truck it's still under the truck yeah. exactly he never gets it back from under the truck i'd never a- actually again in the novelization he does because <laughs> where they where where it is that's how he he lashes himself to the periscope of the submarine yeah, and that's how the, he survives that trip so in the novelization that's where that's where he gets rid of the whip is is from the after the submarine incident interesting so yeah but yeah he you never see him if i'm correct you never see him get it back after he pulls himself, goes under the truck. So, right. Okay. Cause after, I cause after never... he, yeah. Cause after he goes after Mary and he's wearing like, he's not even wearing his own clothes. He's, you know, he's stolen a uniform and right. 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 And, and he doesn't have any of his usual things. Yeah. Speaking of Marion, two things I want to ask you about Marion. One, I feel like Marion kills more Nazis in this movie than Indy does. <laughs> Because she gets on that machine gun on the flying mm-hmm. wing 
mows down like <laughs> trucks full of them. She just doesn't even think anything about it. I remember this time watching it and going, wait, did she just kill all these people? Oh, yeah. Marion just hops in there like, <laughs> just mows the Nazis mm-hmm. down. Like, I don't th- I'm sitting there thinking, I don't think Indy kills as many people in this movie. Uh, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think Indy has been through as much as she has. Yeah. She's the one that was, she was the one that was held captive by them. Yeah. 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 Ma- Marion has one of the greatest intros, too. The introduction of Marion in this movie is fantastic. And the and introduction it, of everybody well, yeah. in this movie, every is, character. We were talking about the beginning when you mentioned, you know, Indiana Jones, the first time we see him. That's one of the best intros of a character. Um, yeah. But then, yes, uh, the introduction of Marion is great, too. But the villains mm-hmm. and I as well, Tolt is great, you know. Mm-hmm. Scared me to death. <laughs> yeah. Belloc, is, Belloc is very menacing, you know, mm-hmm. and very sleazy. Very sleazy. For a weasley little dude, yeah. yeah he's pretty scary. I still remember Siskel and Ebert reviewing this movie, and I can remember one of them. I don't remember which one it was. When they were talking about Marion's introduction, they're like, so she lives in Nepal and runs a bar and like participates in drinking games. This is what she does? And you're like, she okay. made a lot of money play, participating in sure. it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. She, but, she's uh, they found strong, that, she's like, a strong, independent woman. Mm-hmm. She is. She, she's no uh, Willie Scott. <laughs> <laughs> well, they also, um, someone pointed out that it's like the men in this movie keep trying to dress her up. Mm-hmm. You notice that? Like, mm-hmm. Belloc wants to put her in this one dress, and then the ship captain, I believe. Yeah, gives yep, her a, her yeah. yeah. Gives her something. Like, why does everybody want to dress Marion up like a Barbie doll? I don't understand this, but it seemed to be the thing to do. So, what did y'all think about uh, the actress that played Marion? And and is that how you would have uh, cast it? Because she'd been in, I think, Animal House, right? Yeah. I I didn't have a problem with her. I I I fell in love with Karen Ellen. Yeah. Um, I I thought she was perfect for the role. Uh, Very strong, independent. You know woman and uh that wasn't seen much back then mm-hmm. um and uh, i thought she she did it really well i you know i wish she had more roles like that actually and she um you know i mean i don't know if we're going to talk about the sequels or whatever but her presence is missed uh a lot when it comes to uh the the follow-up movies i think well she was definitely a good flip side to the coin to mm-hmm. indy she was you know that's the she was the kind of woman that was a challenge for him, you know, because as we, we saw in other bits, like his students are falling all over him, right. you know, but those are very subservient girls. And that seems to be what he's used to. Whereas Marion, <laughs> Marion doesn't put up with his crap, you know, no. No. First, when they're reunited after all those years, the first thing she does is slug him as yeah. hard as she can. <laughs> and then it's like, that's yeah, that's great. Um, and you know, that's that's a that relationship is a little problematic now to think mm-hmm. about, you know, like, you know, like, you know, Indy hit on her when she was a teenager. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. kind of icky. But, um, you know. Yeah, it was Apparently a he has plenty of opportunities based on what we saw in his classroom. Yeah, mm-hmm. I the thing I thought was interesting about her, she rem- at the time she reminded me having just recently seen Superman of Margot Kidder in the Lois Lane role. They're both brunettes who are not like conventional bombshells, but they're very feisty. You know, they've mm-hmm. got a lot of spirit to them and they're good counter. They're on good equal footing with their male co-stars. And that's, that was interesting. Cause that's not, I think in a few years earlier, that's not how it would have been 
done. Right. 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 Because right. she, as you mentioned earlier, she kills a lot of people on, with the gun. But in the bar fight, she's like smacking the guy over the head with the burning log. Mm-hmm. She she takes out the one guy trying who pulls a knife on her. She clubs him with a, a cast iron skillet. I mean, she does a lot. You know, she pulls the knife on Belloc. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's a lot that she does in here where she is her own hero through most of this. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we were on a run of of strong female, to some degree, stronger than they had been portrayed. Right? You had Princess Leia kind of like going from the princess to like blowing a hole in the wall and saying, in the garbage, you fly boy, and all that, you know. <laughs> exactly right. And then, and then you had Margot Kidder as Lois Lane, and you have uh, Karen Allen. Uh, you know, you're on kind of a streak here of, of, of this new breed of leading ladies that are not like damsels in distress, or they start out that way. But then once you meet them, they're kind of like, certainly uh, can go toe to toe with the villain or the, or the hero, you know, and that's very, they're very similar in that way. I think all three of those characters. So, um, what about, um, what else in the movie before we get into our categories in our last, in our last little phase where, uh, Time flies right along talking about this movie. Um, we got to talk about the ending real quick. And if there's anything else we can fit in, but we got to, because this is the a controversy about this movie is that, you know, people have pointed out that Indy doesn't really affect the overall outcome. And I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of of two minds about it. Okay. I'm kind of of two minds, which is that on the one hand, just in terms of resolving the greater plot um, that's true. But in terms of everything that happens in the movie, it couldn't be more false. Mm-hmm. It's just that it, that it, I think this is one of the reasons why it's never been one of my like absolute favorite movies. I appreciate so much about it. I love so much about it, but I remember being kind of disappointed at the end. I think mainly because, we're, we were used to the, you saw Star Wars, Luke blows up the Death Star. Okay. And Han Solo say, rescues him so he can. And in this movie, God blows up the bad guys, essentially, while the heroes are tied up. And they survive the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so the point I've always made is, you know, people say, well, if Indy wasn't in it, uh, the Nazis wouldn't have found the Ark, maybe. And I'm like, and that, okay. So Hitler doesn't get the Ark. So that's good. If India is, is in it, they find the Ark and it kills the Nazis. Good. So there really was never a bad outcome. I've always said, it's kind of like if, it's like if Luke tried to blow up the Death Star and missed, and then the Death Star shot the rebel-based moon and the beam bounced back and blew up the Death Star. <laughs> Oh, so Mike, yeah. I know you're going to die. Tell me why is what? Why am I wrong there? Please, we, we wanna... just talked about it. The heart of this movie, it's it's yeah. I mean, the arc is the goal. It's the MacGuffin or whatever, but it's not what. I mean, it, obviously, it's the journey and not the the prize. But the heart of this movie is Marion. If if Indy's not involved, Marion dies. Mm-hmm. It's just that simple. Whether she dies in, in Nepal or whether she dies in Egypt or whether she dies on the island, she dies. And, uh, you know, if it's not for Indiana Jones, uh, Marion doesn't live. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just that's for that me, it's that simple. I mean, 
you could argue, you know, throughout the movie, like, what is he doing it for? And he's doing it, you know, to be a patriot. Obviously, his country wants him to do this against the Nazis. He's doing it because, you know, <laughs> he wants, who doesn't want to go against Nazis, right? So, um, but really, once once Marion becomes involved, that's the key for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's, I mean, he he's about saving her at the end. Shut your eyes, Marion. Like, don't, because yeah. he's like, I don't want to lose you. Um and and that's what that's what the that's where this movie he and that's what he ends up with he doesn't he's never going to end up with the ark the ark he's not going to put the ark in his living room you know like he's not that's not that's not what he does this yeah. for but you know he's doing this for Marion and that's why you know in subsequent movies it's so tragic that it takes you know so long for her to return to the to this franchise because that's what this movie to me is about right and had she died in Nepal the villain would have gotten the amulet they would have found the ark earlier because the only reason they couldn't find the ark the amulet the ark was because he only had they one only had side of the side. amulet <laughs> exactly if they had to kill if he had gotten if indiana indy hadn't have been in nepal marion would have died they would have taken the amulet they would have found the ark sooner yep. which may have may have changed where it got opened how it got opened and that part about the opening, I've, I've heard people complain, how do, how do they survive? That is actually set up fairly early in the movie when they're looking through the Bible about the ark. Mm-hmm. There are illustrations there Blind, of yeah. the lightning coming out of the ark and people yeah. that are blindfolded Leo, are not being yeah. struck by it. So Indy, Indy does, rem- that's why he, you know, they don't spell it out clearly, but he does know yeah. that if you don't look at it, you know, that, that the blind will survive or whatever, however it's phrased. But, um, but yeah, I, you know, Indy does a lot in the movie. I, you know, like I said, there are things that probably would have been different. There are people that wouldn't have died, but you know, he's still, yeah. Keeping Marion alive is very important. And, and if you look at sequels, he has a kid because Marion lives. You know? <laughs> um, if you want to, you know, look at the sequels, you know, that, that I, I kind of thing. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Ah. I, I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. That must be fan fiction. Fan fiction. Yeah. It's a, yeah. There's a fifth coming fan fiction, <laughs> by the way, Mike. So I guess we touched on that, but I want to get to our categories. And by the way, I think you both did a great, fantastic, uh, home run job there of explaining the unexplainable about the, uh, about the ending, and I will go with that, and I appreciate it. All right, here we go. We're going to go on our fast-forward uh, quick hits, and then if we have any time left, we can we can do anything else, but we, I want to get these in. So, Bobby, most rewatchable scene? Oh, uh, the opening. Yeah. Mike? Same thing. The The first 15 minutes uh, is, you know, you can, you can watch that all day, every day. Got to give a quick shout-out to Alfred Molina in that movie, who does a fantastic job just sure. in the opening. First person you see, um, first person you see their face is Alfred Molina, Doc Ock. That's right. That's where he I'm, got his hatred for spiders. It is. Holy cow. <laughs> what I was going to say, I remember seeing him in Chocolat and in Spider-Man 2 and thinking, where have I seen this guy before? And somebody pointed out, it's the guy at the beginning of Raiders. I'm like, oh, my gosh, he is the guy from Raiders. I didn't know he did anything else. I figured they just got some guy off the street that could go, you know, but yeah, it's Alfred Molina. Holy cow. That's awesome. That's really good. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. This, that, it's sad, though, that the, the most rewatchable scene has nothing much to do with the rest of the movie, but, you know, it's, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, again, it's like the opening of Goldfinger or something. It's its own, it's its own little movie and it's great. Um, 
and you don't need any background or anything else. You get it all in it. Uh, what's aged the best about this movie? Uh, Mike, what's aged the best? Well, I, I mean, I don't know. To me, it's got a timeless quality to it uh, because it was made in the 80s, but yet set in the 40s. And it has that that sort of um, appeal to it that I think that, you know, I think that's what uh, I, I recently read um, an introduction to a, a volume of Hellboy in which Alan Moore said that the thing that Mike Mignola has done with Hellboy is he's brought the sensibilities of Kirby but he's he's producing in a way that it's as that this is as good as we remember it being mm. not as good as it was. And so I think Lucas and Spielberg did the same thing. These this they use the template of the serials from the 30s. But if you go back and watch them, a lot of them don't hold up. But Raiders is as good as you remember those serials yeah. being. Mm-hmm. That's good, Bobby. What's uh, what's age the best? Yeah, I, I, you know what? I'm gonna as, as I love the movie. I think the movie has it still stands up. But I'm gonna tell you that the that sound, the score, the, mm-hmm. the soundtrack. I can still hear, you know, the indie theme, and I am transported directly into this. It, not just this movie, but just a feeling of adventure. You know that, and I think that still holds up very well. Yeah, I, for me, it's it's kind of a tie between the idea of the 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 idea of the adventurer out searching on the quest, the Tomb Raider quest, as you guys were joking, and the music. I think the music, absolutely for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, what's age the worst, Bobby? Hmm, that's a good. I, you know, I don't know. Um, that's a tough one. Um, uh, obviously, there's a there's a little bit of stuff that was set in the times like Mike mentioned earlier, the problematic thing of of Indy wooing a teenager, and I think that maybe that's yeah. Um, whereas then, even though it was it, he was a cad back then, you know now right. it's, you know it's taken a lot. You know, um, so probably that aspect, yeah. Mike, you agree or? Uh, yeah. Although more so, I think, you know, also the fact that, you know, like I said, my, uh, a friend of mine back then called it contrived. And I think the way most storytelling is told now, uh, I think when people go back and watch this, they probably would think that this was a little bit too contrived. It wouldn't, it doesn't, it doesn't adhere to what modern storytelling does. Um, it's a little bit more simplistic and, um, straightforward and, uh, um, I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think uh, a lot of people, like if you're used to watching a lot of the stuff now and you go to watch Raiders, it's going to be kind of a weird thing. Yeah, you know, the funny thing about that is it, um, it's been pointed out, this was an incredibly fast paced movie for its time mm-hmm. and that something big happens within every 10 minutes, which is not the case of most movies back then. And yeah. yet today, the way movies are, you know, kids would probably fall asleep. Right. My 13 year old, I thought she'd love it. She can't stand it. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I don't understand. So yeah, there's there's also a tendency in writing movies today, the the hero and villain have to be connected in some tighter way than than mm-hmm. Indy and Belloc were, other mm-hmm. than just being competitors. They would have to have made it. Belloc would have to be his estranged brother now. Yeah, there would have. to they seem to do that a lot more in modern movies where they've got to be connected. And I think and, and, that and have a team team have a team it has right. to be a team. Everything's have, a have team. Belloc in the truck, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I love it. Well, Indy could even have like his own band, like uh, Buckaroo Banzai did. Like the Hong Kong Cavaliers. <laughs> I love it. This movie was Apex Mountain for what? What do we see in this movie that it never gets any better than this again? I'm going to say uh, fedoras and bullwhips. <laughs> and I got one other one. Shadows. Shadows really do well in this movie. There's a number of scenes where Spielberg, I guess, or the DP, uh, use people moving in shadows rather than actually showing them. And it's very effective. It's a, it's a cheap way to do it. Just shine a light on a couple of guys and suddenly it's dramatic, you know, Indy's, um, Indy's appearance in right in Marion's bar always stands out to me because mm-hmm. she looks up and his shadow is on the wall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, is, and it's a distinctive shadow with the fedora and hat, she knows yeah. exactly who it is. Yeah. yeah. And we do well, too. I agree with that. What other apex mountain we got? uh practical stunts mm-hmm. yes um i i you know now with cg even the last you know indiana jones movie was so full of cg uh this movie with practical stunts and the chase sequences i'm hard pressed to find any movie after afterwards uh i think maybe maybe the mad max movies uh are close but um uh they're just um you know full of these practical live action stunts that really were Kind of risky, and uh, now uh, pretty much, you know, nobody wants to do that because you know it's not worth it. Yeah, yeah. Was, the, the, was the snakes this, and spiders would have been CG'd if they could have. Oh yeah, if it was Monday. Oh, yeah. Was this Apex Mountain for Harrison Ford? Uh, it it sealed the deal on his stardom. Yeah. Uh, this without you know, I mean, I'm not saying without this movie, but it's the it you know after Han Solo. You know, when he, once Indiana Jones comes through, it proved that he was a box office leader mm-hmm. and would set his salary as well as his status for the rest of his career. Yeah. Plus, with Han Solo, as big as Star Wars is, yeah, there's a lot of people who aren't sci-fi fans who, who that wasn't a thing. Right. But putting Harrison in a non-outer space movie, my parents suddenly knew who he was. There you go. Yep. Okay. Uh, it was an apex mountain for John Williams. I mean, we yeah. talked about that already, but I think this whole era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he hit the stratosphere and just kept bouncing off the stratosphere for like this was five another years. round in that chamber. Well, and, and also, I mean, it was another nice feather in the caps of both Lucas and Spielberg, yes. who they weren't having to prove themselves here, but no. they did reach a new audience. They did mm-hmm. the, like I said, you know, they were not known for, this kind of thing. So it reached a new audience, which I think put them in the minds, you know, the mindset of people who weren't necessarily science fiction fans. Cause looking at Indiana Jones, you don't think sci-fi, even though there's sci-fi elements to it. Unless you're Starlog. Yeah. Unless you're Starlog. And then, <laughs> so you, he, they've reached, they reached a new audience and proved, you know, cause this is Hollywood proved to the studios that they could do something other than sci-fi and horror. That's right. Which a which probably helped allow them to do, you know, Everything certainly else. other movies that, you know, that the studios might have, cause you know, the studio system, they go, Oh, you're a sci-fi director. That's all you can ever do. You have to prove to them that you yeah. can do something else. And I think this was a feather in their cap for, for proving they could do something else. 
These are the cartoon Nazis that Spielberg didn't want to do anymore, by the way. And they yeah. are pretty cartoony. They're they're the least threat. I gotta say, these are the least threatening. I mean, Tote is kind of scary, but other than that, th- these are like these Nazis are on like Sleestack level of, of threat to me. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, could this be a 10 episode Netflix or HBO series? And should it be? It's you know what? I'd, I'd watch the hell out of a 10 episode. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I would, but, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of trying to re reboot or remake. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and I don't, you know, if they were, if they were going to bring this closer to the serialized format, which every episode was a cliffhanger, that's mm, yeah. then, uh, I would be interested, although I would hope for a different you know, plot or whatever. I I don't know if I would want to see this particular story done that way, but certainly an Indiana Jones adventure done that way would be very exciting. Yeah. I, you know, I have high hopes for young Indiana Jones and I enjoyed it for what it was. Um, But I would say this, if you wanted to do it, you know, Sean Patrick Flannery, who played teenage Indiana Jones is now about the same age Harrison was (laughs) when he did the first one. There you go. He could easily fall into, you know, I think so. Last question as we run out of time here. Who won the movie? Who won this movie the biggest? Bobby, who won Raiders of the Lost Ark? The monkey. No. <laughs> no. No, no, no the, monkey, the monkey uh, did not win. No. Uh, Harrison, obviously. I mean, this, this, like I said, this was, a, yeah, this was a big deal for Harrison Ford. This, this, I think, you know, his career got a super huge boost off of this. Um, because, like I said, you know, Han Solo aside, more people probably think of him as Indiana Jones than they do as Han Solo. And, you know, it was a, so it was a big win for him and allowed him to start doing the, you know, more freedom of what movies he wanted to do and more control over his career. I think. Yeah. Mike, who won the movie? Uh, my heart. <laughs> it won my heart. The movie won my heart. Uh, movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, no, it's everybody, you know, it's Harrison, it's Steven, it's George, it's Paramount. Uh, none of the, all those, all four of those entities have continued success because of this movie. And in some ways lean on this movie and this franchise uh, going forward. Um, uh, I can't think of anybody else out of this movie that really leans on it as much as those four entities. But mm-hmm. um uh yeah and lucasfilm now i guess or disney i mean we'll see where that goes up ends up but i mean you know it's so much so that certainly lucas and i mean lucas is not just known as the star wars guy i mean this is the other thing that you can put out there and go look it's not just star wars um and uh and, and steven obviously harrison it's so much so that whenever another one is being thought about being made it's like they won't do it without one of those three being involved I think that you're right, but I think that probably Lucas and Spielberg were doing just fine without it, though it certainly does help them. I think that uh, Harrison Ford probably wins the most out of it. And I think the other big winner was the Ark of the Covenant, because I didn't know there was another Ark. (laughs) I had no idea there was a second Ark in the Bible until I uh, said I I didn't pay enough attention in Sunday school. All right, guys, we are completely out of time. I think this has been awesome, and I really appreciate you guys being on board. Thanks a bunch. That's a lot of fun. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much. That was great. All right, we're going to wrap up. See you guys later, Birmingham. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.